great. You've been loading up on things from Walmart? Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. Say what now? 5% back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A. You are listening to the Already Gone podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the murdered, the mysterious, and the lost. People ask me if I'm a Blue Apron customer, and I'm proud to say that I am. Not only am I building my skills in the kitchen and bringing my family together to share delicious, fresh food from local farms and from responsibly raised animals, I'm creating a memorable experience to share with my children. Dinner is a time to connect, nourishing the body and the mind. Enjoying a meal that is affordable, flavorful, and easy to prepare is a wonderful thing to experience. I'm not a seasoned chef. But easy-to-follow recipes and pre-portioned ingredients help me create a restaurant-quality meal at a fraction of the price. At less than $10 per person per meal, we're enjoying dishes like beef teriyaki stir-fry with sugar snap peas and lime rice, or spinach, three cheese, and baby broccoli stromboli with tomato and oregano dipping sauce. One of my favorite things about Blue Apron is that I can customize the menu, so I'm serving meals the whole family will enjoy. Blue Apron's freshness guarantee, meaning you get the right amount of fresh, ready-to-cook ingredients for each recipe, or they make it right. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash already gone. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash already gone. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. This week's episode discusses a sexually motivated murder. Listener discretion is strongly advised. May in Michigan is Missing Persons Month, so what better way to finish the month than with a missing persons case that was recently solved? When I cover these stories, I usually approach them without an end in mind. The victim is lost. They've disappeared. They've vanished, and family is waiting, hoping for an answer, for resolution, for closure. But in this case, the killer was found, tried, and as of this recording, he is awaiting sentencing. This week, I'm sharing an overview of Chelsea's story, from her disappearance in 2014 to finding her remains in the spring of 2015, the tracking of her killer, and finally bringing him to justice. When 22-year-old Chelsea Brooke disappeared in October of 2014, she was another missing person, one of thousands in our state. Her picture appeared on the news, one of a blonde, smiling girl next door, and another of Chelsea in her poison ivy costume, green leaves on her chest, a plum-colored wig on her head. Had anyone seen her? Were you at the party? Surely someone saw something that night. On October 25th, 2014, Chelsea joined literally hundreds of other young adults to attend a giant outdoor Halloween party. The party, 
at a private home in Frenchtown Township, a city several miles south of Detroit, near Monroe, carried on nearly the entire night. There was live music and plenty of beer. In fact, earlier in the week, word went out on social media about the party, and people came in from all over. At a party of this size, in the dark, it's easy to get separated from friends. Being in a rather remote area, cell service was spotty. With the huge crowd, limited security, and everyone in costume, the party was chaotic. Mike Williams, who hosted the party, was interviewed in the press the week of October 27th. He said that he'd expected about 300 people that night. He also said that people got carried away and news of the party was shared widely and that attendance ended up being closer to 800 people. Williams said he never actually saw Chelsea that night, which isn't surprising considering the number of people at the party. It's thought that Chelsea knew several people who were in attendance at the Halloween party turned concert turned all-night event. One of her friends, who was also a co-worker, Rebecca Brinson, said that Chelsea carried around a large bottle of red wine that evening. She'd replaced the wine label with a homemade one that read, Poison. Brinson said yes, Chelsea was drinking the wine, but she didn't finish the bottle. Other people saw Chelsea that night, including those who saw her walking on Post Road around 3 a.m. with a male partygoer. They didn't recognize the man, but were later able to provide enough information to create a sketch of him. Because Chelsea did get separated from her friends without her cell phone, when the party started winding down around 2 a.m., she was in a bit of a bind. She had no way home. Even though she was in her 20s, Chelsea didn't have a driver's license and relied on friends for a ride that night. And it sounds like each of these friends assumed that Chelsea left with someone else. And based on where she ended up, they were right. Chelsea did accept a ride, but it wasn't from someone that she knew. Chelsea lived about 10 miles from the location where the party was held. When she found herself alone at after 2 a.m., walking home was not an option, and without her cell phone, it was hard to locate someone to coordinate a ride. Unfortunately, she connected with someone that she thought would give her a ride home, someone she thought was safe, someone that she could trust. Chelsea was mistaken. The search is on in Michigan for the woman who vanished at a Halloween party over the weekend. Friends say Chelsea Brooke was at the party in Monroe County dressed as the character Poison Ivy from the Batman movie. But her sister does not believe Chelsea would have just left with a complete stranger. I don't think she's sitting there at all at this point knowing she can come home and choosing not to because she's scared and there's too much hype. I I do not think at all that this is her choice. Friends and family members are helping out in the search police there in Monroe County. Michigan want to hear from anyone who may have information on the case. 22-year-old Chelsea Brooke was the youngest of five children. She had three older sisters and an older brother. Chelsea grew up on the Brooke family farm in the town of Maybe. Maybe is a tiny city about 12 miles northwest of Monroe. The small community has less than 600 residents, and this area is patrolled by the Monroe County Sheriff's Department. Chelsea was a graduate of Monroe High School. According to a listener, Kim, who helped fill me in on Maybe, Maybe is a farming community with a small downtown, and because there are so many family farms, everyone seems to know one another as generations grew up together in the community. 
These farms produce mainly corn and soybean. And while people know their neighbors, these neighbors are often an acre or two away from one another. Chelsea had a job working as a hostess at the Olga's restaurant inside Monroe Mall, and she'd started working there at the age of 18 and enjoyed it. Since Chelsea didn't have a driver's license and didn't really seem interested in obtaining one, she relied on friends and family to drive her where she needed to go. On the night of the party, she got a ride with a co-worker from Olga's, her friend Laura Taylor. Taylor would tell authorities that Chelsea left her phone in Laura's car when they arrived at the party, which is maddening because if she'd carried her phone with her, her movements that night may have been easier to track. I wonder if Chelsea's costume, which was black leggings, red shoes, and a green leotard trimmed with plastic leaves, left her without pockets and without a place to stash her phone. Or, since Chelsea knew the area and knew how spotty cell service is, she may have decided not to take it with her. Another friend of Chelsea's, Penny Watkins, said that Chelsea hurt herself early that evening. Chelsea had walked into a low-hanging wooden structure and banged her nose, giving her a scrape. Her friends attended to her after that injury, but Chelsea wasn't badly hurt. In fact, Penny said that hours later, around 2.30 a.m., Chelsea called her from an unknown cell phone number asking for a ride home. Penny was already home, and she apologized, telling her that she, Penny, was in no condition to drive. When Chelsea went missing, her older sister, 24-year-old Cassandra Bruck, encouraged people to share Chelsea's photo far and wide, pointing out that people came from out of state to attend the October 25th party, and, quote, she could be anywhere at this point. When the missing persons report was filed with the Monroe County Sheriff's Office, it was Deputy Favre who took the report from Chelsea's mother, Leandra Bruck. She also turned Chelsea's cell phone over to him. It was Wednesday, October 29, 2014, that the press picked up the story and started sharing information about Chelsea's disappearance. Missing posters were already up in and around Monroe and Dundee, and searches had been performed in a five-mile radius fanning out from the site of the party. But there was no sign of Chelsea. A Facebook group was created, and thousands of people joined to show their support for Chelsea and her family. And yes, back in 2014, I was one of those people. Law enforcement and her family asked that people keep an eye out for Chelsea's costume, the ivy-colored leotard, and the plum-colored wig. They were asked to look for a 5-foot, 7-inch tall, blonde woman of average build with an anchor tattoo behind her right ear. They held vigils and sent out press releases. They created tip lines and offered rewards. Hundreds of people joined search parties and combed the area around the site of the party, looking for her or clues to where Chelsea could have gone. As civilians in the community looked for Chelsea, more than 50 law enforcement agencies were involved in the search, processing tips, following leads, interviewing suspects. And what Chelsea's case came down to was patience, legwork, and a bit of luck. This case has just drug on way too long. Last night, police found a poison ivy costume like the one Chelsea was wearing at the Halloween party she disappeared from. DNA testing will determine if it's hers or not. Brock has been missing since October. Over the phone, Chelsea's sister said almost six months later, they just want to know something. I'm frustrated and you get angry and 
how I was yesterday. But despite these search efforts, the Monroe County Sheriff's Department says not to read too much into this. The costume made them want to look more, but they have followed up on 650 different tips, with some searches even involving dive teams. So actually, the fact that we're at five and a half months and they're still holding big searches and going on leads and doing what they can, it actually, actually is not a concern that they'll stop. The winter of 2014 was a long one for her loved ones. Each day that passed was an eternity. Each tip that didn't pan out a new disappointment for law enforcement. Flyers went out and were shared widely. As the winter ended and the snow melted away, more searches were planned. Chelsea, or a clue to her whereabouts, had to be out there somewhere. In mid-March 2015, the Point Mouillé game preserve along the Detroit River, just northeast of Monroe and about 20 miles from the site of the party, it was searched without success. This location was high on law enforcement's list of places to search as it's known to be a popular site for dumping bodies and evidence. I'd never heard of this place before, and now I can't decide if I want to go there and check it out or if I need to avoid it. On April 5th, 2014, Monroe County Sheriff executes a search warrant on what appears to be an unlikely location, an abandoned industrial area in the city of Flat Rock. Flat Rock is a community at the southern tip of Wayne County. The primary employer is Ford Motor Company. Ford's roots run deep in the area. In 1921, Henry Ford partnered with architect Albert Kahn to build the Ford Motor Company lamp factory. Ford had purchased property that included a dam on the Huron River, and by 1923, the lamp factory opened. The city flourished along with the factory, bringing workers to the area. Today, Ford and Flat Rock continue to reside cheek by jowl. The Ford Mustang and the Lincoln Continental are produced in Flat Rock. Now, the city of Flat Rock is mostly in Wayne County, but the southernmost part of the city is in Monroe County. It was in Flat Rock, at a site about 10 miles from the location of the party, that Chelsea's costume was recovered. It was found not too far from the intersection of Peters Road and Vreeland off Telegraph, for those of you familiar with the area. Law enforcement recovered a torn and blood-stained green leotard trimmed with leaves, as well as a plum-colored wig. Hoping that Chelsea would be located there as well, dogs were brought in to search. The next day, helicopters went up for an aerial view of Flat Rock, hoping that eyes in the sky could search a wider area than the detectives, volunteers, and family on the ground. While the blood-stained evidence didn't point to Chelsea being safe, it was a solid lead, a real piece of evidence in Chelsea's case, something tangible. The investigation was energized. The items found in Flat Rock were sent to the Michigan State Police Lab for testing not only to confirm that they belonged to Chelsea, but to see if there was any foreign DNA present that might help them discover who Chelsea encountered after the party. I'm going to pause here, because finding Chelsea's body is a mixed blessing. Yes, we're going to have resolution, an answer to that question, where are you? However, I want to take you back to episode 21, Sally and Shane, the high school sweethearts from Texas who were murdered after a 4th of July celebration. I will never, ever forget Sally's mother saying, 
There is no such thing as closure. Closure is for people who haven't been through something like this. On one hand, the Bruck family no longer has to agonize over where their daughter and sister is. On the other, they are no longer blissfully ignorant of how her life ended that October night. Their sleepless nights are not over. They're just filled with different images, different fears, and the terrible longing, a mix of anguish and grief for someone who was taken far too soon. Yesterday, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office recovered the skeletal remains of a female in the wooded area and private property off Briar Hill Road, south of Newburgh Road in Ash Township. Michigan State Police evidence technicians were called in to assist in processing the scene. The victim's body was then sent to the Wayne County Morgue along with the dental records of Chelsea Brook, our missing person case that occurred on October 26, 2014, almost six months ago to the day. Today at approximately 4 o'clock p.m., we received confirmation from the Wayne County Medical Examiner's Office that the body was, in fact, that of Chelsea Brook. Since that time, the Brook family has been notified. The Wayne County Medical uh, Examiner's Office has not completed their autopsy. Therefore, I can't give you the official cause of death at this time. In fact, they stated that a thorough investigation could take up to a month to complete. Over the past few months, detectives have gathered evidence from several locations, both in and out of the county of Monroe. Evidence was also recovered at the scene yesterday. That was Monroe County Sheriff Dale Malone at a press conference held after Chelsea's remains were discovered. The priority was confirming that it was Chelsea's body that they found. And if you're wondering how many dead women there are in the area, the answer is more than there should be. Because the very next day, a second body was recovered. A female floating in a body of water in Brownstown Township, a community just north of Flat Rock. It's late April 2015, and John Marcon was hard at work on a piece of land in Ash Township. Now that the ground had thawed, he was able to bring in heavy machinery to clear property that he intended to build on. It was while he was on the phone with his wife that he saw what he thought was a body. He told her that he would call her back and took a closer look, and he made a horrifying discovery. He had found the badly decomposed remains of a woman with long blonde hair. Marcon placed a call to 911, and I don't know if he suspected it was Chelsea Brock, but it was the lead investigator on her case, Detective Brian Sroka, who was first on the scene. The body was concealed under some tree branches and piles of leaves. The remains were mostly skeletal, with some skin remaining on the chest, hands, and lower legs. It was the bits of long blonde hair that made Sroka think he had finally found Chelsea. Ash Township is just south of Flat Rock and 12 miles from the site of the party. The Ash Township property had railroad tracks running through it, and police theorized that the killer must have known the area to choose it as a dump site. John Marcon, the property owner who located the remains, was never considered a suspect. The Wayne County Medical Examiner was called in to handle the remains for autopsy. Yes, her body was found in Monroe County, but Monroe is a smaller, much more rural location. 
the Wayne County Medical Examiner is better equipped to handle a case like this. A forensic anthropologist was called in. Chelsea's dental records were compared with the remains. And by the end of the workday, law enforcement confirmed it. Chelsea Brooke was no longer missing. Chelsea's brother, Nathaniel, made a statement on social media where he thanked everyone for their efforts in finding Chelsea and said that the end of the search meant a new beginning, a search for justice. While the identification of the body happened quickly, a full autopsy and cause of death would take significantly longer. Meanwhile, the clothing found in early April had been taken apart at the lab. They were searching for foreign DNA to see if they could isolate a profile. Perhaps the person who murdered Chelsea was already in the system. And yes, Chelsea was murdered. The green top that she'd worn, part of her homemade costume that she'd created for the party, it was bloodstained at both the chest and the hip. At autopsy, her cause of death became clearer. Chelsea had sustained several serious blows to the face and head. She had, quote, multiple fractures of her nose, jaw, and eye sockets. Chelsea was the recipient of a brutal beating, and now that her body was located, they needed to find her killer. Thankfully, the Michigan State Police Lab knows their business, and they were able to isolate a male DNA profile from Chelsea's costume. Then they had to wait, matching that profile to that of someone in the database. In September, John Macron calls law enforcement again. He's discovered one of Chelsea's red shoes from her poison ivy costume on his property. I have a haunting aside for this story. In December of 2012, 23-year-old Julia Niswender was found murdered in her apartment near Eastern Michigan University. Julia's twin sister, Jennifer, was close friends with Chelsea Brooks' sister, Cassandra. And in 2015, both Jennifer and Cassandra are members of a unique and terrible club. They both have buried sisters who died violent deaths. Julia's mother, Kimberly Turnquist, had a chance meeting with a woman named Deb Kamen. Deb's daughter was also a murder victim. Her daughter, 30-year-old Chelsea Small, was killed during a 2013 robbery at her workplace in Taylor, Michigan. And in December of 2014, the three mothers, Deb, Kimberly, and Leandra, who have a dark thread connecting them, held a joint remembrance service for their girls. Julia's murder and the murder of Chelsea Small remain unsolved. It has been two years now since Chelsea Small, the mother of two children, was killed at a Taylor Cash Advance store. Even though her murder was captured on surveillance video and showed her killer walk in and shoot her, there have still been no arrests. Paula Tutman talked with her family as they continue to hope that justice will come one day. I know it's been two years, but Chelsea Small's family is still not willing to give up hope that the suspect will be caught. Today at 4 and First at 4, we showed you brand new extended video of the man police say killed Chelsea Small at an Advance America cash store in Taylor two years ago today. Also today, her family gathered one more time on the anniversary of her death. Two young children lost their mother that day. Their father works hard to create a safe haven for them. The many aunts and extended family members have become support group central, but today is still so fresh and raw and painful. 
Time is not healing these wounds. I, I'm very shocked that we don't have a lead or anything to go off of. I mean, even fingerprints um, of him opening up the door. The family's perplexed because the man who did this still hasn't been caught, and it baffles police as well. You can make the argument that the information that's been put out to the news just hasn't hit that right set of eyes. July 2016. It's been more than a year since the battered remains of 22-year-old Chelsea Brook were found in Ash Township. More than a year since she was laid to rest, and closing in on two years since her disappearance, but police finally have eyes on their suspect. They are building a case against the man whose DNA was a match to the DNA on Chelsea's costume. On Friday, July 22nd, the Monroe County Sheriff's Department descends on a home in the French Town Villa Mobile Home Park, not too far from the site of the party. It's there that they arrest 27-year-old Daniel Clay. Major Jeff Kemp of the Monroe County Sheriff's Department states, We got him. Clay's name is not released to the public pending his arraignment on July 25th, but the sheriff holds a press conference at 11 p.m. that Friday night to say that the person in custody made statements revealing facts about the case that were never made public. On Tuesday, July 26th, the Monroe County News reports that Clay's DNA was collected after he was arrested for stealing a backpack. It was that DNA, collected after Chelsea's death, that linked him to her murder. It doesn't take long for social media to erupt with speculation. And at this point, Daniel Clay's Facebook profile is being shared wild, being shared widely. I remember taking a look at it myself, and yeah, some of his posts were strange, and dare I say, unsettling. He was no stranger to law enforcement. Daniel Clay had been arrested half a dozen times before he was picked up by the Monroe County Sheriff that day. Drug possession, breaking and entering, retail fraud, assault and battery. He'd spent several months in jail between 2007, when he was 18, and 2016. Clay also owed more than $20,000 in back child support to the mothers of his two children. At the time of his arrest, Clay was living with his new girlfriend, Kelly Richter. A friend of theirs, Danielle Boring, was in the shower at their home when sheriffs raided the house to arrest him. Daniel rushed into the bathroom where she was bathing to announce that he was going to prison. He refused to answer the door. When Kelly Richter came home later, she was kept away from Danielle, and Kelly gave police permission to search the home. Kelly Richter cooperated fully with law enforcement. When the sheriff's department looks through Daniel's things, they find the more compelling evidence. Clay had Chelsea's undergarments, jewelry, and some of her personal items. Sure, he'd dumped her clothing in one area and her body in another, but these, these tokens, he kept. Richter told police that she never imagined that he could be involved in Chelsea's murder. She described him as a good father to his two sons. Richter told reporters that she wished this was a mistake, that it wasn't her friend who had done this, but she also wanted closure for the Brock family. At his July 25th arraignment, Clay tells the judge that he does not want bond and that he needs a court-appointed attorney, and the judge grants both of his requests. In August of 2016, 
Clay is arraigned on separate charges of home invasion and first-degree criminal sexual misconduct in relation to another case. Later in the month, he will undergo a psychiatric evaluation where he will be found competent to stand trial. In late September, the Monroe County prosecutor files another charge against Clay, concealing the death of an individual. They're charging him with hiding Chelsea's body. Remember, her remains were found under branches and leaves in a remote area. Going back to Chelsea's body, the autopsy shows that Chelsea received significant trauma to her face. Remember that she had, quote, multiple fractures of her nose, jaw, and eye sockets? Well, Daniel Clay denies striking or beating Chelsea. He told police that the two of them met at the party and that they knew each other in a roundabout way. Jessica Pribble, one of Chelsea's co-workers at Olga's, was the mother of Clay's school-aged child. And Clay said that as the evening progressed, the two of them, Chelsea and Daniel, decided to have sex in the back seat of Daniel's car. During intercourse, Chelsea asked Daniel to choke her and slap her face. He put his hands around her throat for, quote, 20 or 30 seconds, but when Daniel realized that she wasn't breathing, he stopped, both the choking and the intercourse, and that he attempted to revive her, but he was unsuccessful, so he panicked. He does not attempt to explain the tears to Chelsea's leotard or the bloodstains found on the inside of the garment. You see, Daniel Clay has a story. And his story was that Chelsea agreed to have sex with him, and that while they were having sex, she encouraged him to be rough with her, to choke her, slap her, and strike her. He was only doing what she asked. He didn't realize that she was badly hurt. During the trial, Daniel would testify that when he met her, she already had blood on her face from injuring her nose earlier in the evening. See, she was already hurt when he got to her, and Chelsea's death was an accident. Those fractures, they're not from him hitting her. They must have happened post-mortem when he piled things over the body to hide her remains. Daniel Clay's attorney, Russell Smith, was so enamored with this theory that Chelsea insisted on being choked during sex that he located a psychologist willing to testify about it. Circuit Court Judge Daniel White declines this expert witness, and he does not speak at trial. Jury selection will begin on Monday, May 8, 2017, and testimony started soon after. On May 10th, jurors heard about blood evidence from the poison ivy costume, and photos of Chelsea's remains were shown on a large-screen television set up in the courtroom. Chelsea's family was not spared these images. One of the expert witnesses to testify was Dr. Gary Berman, a forensic dentist who testified how he was able to identify Chelsea's remains using her dental records. On the fourth day of the trial, Dr. Lee Lavati will testify that a person will lose consciousness after 20 or 30 seconds if their airway is compressed, but it takes another two to three minutes for them to die. She also testified that Chelsea had broken teeth in addition to the fractures on her face. Dr. Lavati did not believe the branches used to conceal the body were the cause of these injuries. Her remains were too decomposed to determine if she had been strangled, and her cause of death was listed as blunt force trauma to the head. On redirect, Attorney Smith asked if Chelsea could have asphyxiated during intercourse. Dr. Lavati responded that if she had, the cause of death would be strangulation. 
She further stated that Chelsea died after receiving repeated blows to the head. She wasn't struck once. She was struck several times. On the morning of Monday, May 15th, the prosecution rests. The defense had lined up witnesses to testify about Chelsea Brooks' sexual preferences. And once again, the judge steps in and puts a stop to it. He did not think that Chelsea's sexual history was relevant unless there was a sexual partner or a confidant who could confirm whether or not Chelsea preferred rough sex. Chelsea's friends were asked by the defense about her sexual preferences. I cannot imagine what this trial must have been like for Chelsea's parents, her family, and her friends. It's bad enough to lose her to a violent predator, but to have her sexual history dragged out in open court? I can't imagine. Further, I don't believe that Daniel Clay was asked about his sexual preferences. I also don't think that the rape charges from 2016 were ever brought up during this trial. Daniel Clay did take the stand in his own defense, and he clung to his story. He testified that he was intoxicated, that he'd consumed two pints of alcohol, smoked marijuana, and taken pills that night, including Xanax and Vicodin. He said that he had no idea how her face was so severely injured, but he insisted that he did not strike her. He said that Chelsea died accidentally during rough sex, that he didn't mean to hurt her, and when he realized that she was dead, he sobbed. He couldn't believe what had happened. Then he panicked, so he disposed of her body in the woods and threw away her clothing at the industrial site. Daniel said again he did not mean to hurt her. His attorneys will echo that story again during closing arguments, that Daniel killed her accidentally, that there was no malice intended, and Daniel feels genuine remorse for what happened. His attorney, Russell Smith, will ask the jury for a charge of involuntary manslaughter. Felony murder. Guilty. Count two. Concealing the death of an individual. He admitted he did it, and now a jury agreed this was no accident. Family members hug and quietly break down after learning a jury had convicted Daniel Clay of killing 22-year-old Chelsea Brock and hiding her body. I've only had a couple minutes to talk to him, but this is the uh, nearing the end, anyway, of a 31-month ordeal for them from October the 25th, 2014, until today. So it's it's a huge emotional relief for everyone, I, I think, involved. <laughs> From a missing person's case to a homicide. It took months, but detectives eventually pointed to Daniel Clay as the person responsible. Clay denied it at first and then claimed he accidentally strangled Brock during aggressive sex they had in a car after leaving the Halloween party in Frenchtown Township, but he never meant to kill her. I know I'm the one that did it. I just don't know about her, the injury she sustained. I don't know how those happened. Prosecutors disagreed, among other evidence showing injuries to Brooke's face they felt proved her death was intentional. On top of the fact he hid her body in the woods and denied ever seeing the young woman that night. The jury is sent to deliberate on the afternoon of Tuesday, May 16th. And just two and a half hours later, they return. They found Daniel Clay guilty of first-degree murder and guilty of the second charge, concealing a body. His sentencing is scheduled for Thursday, July 13th. The Bruck family declined to comment, opting to wait for sentencing in July. Monroe County Chief Assistant Prosecutor 
Michael Rorig spoke with the press after the trial. He cited the overwhelming evidence of a violent death, blunt force trauma to the head, that Chelsea's costume was torn at the shoulder and the crotch, and the bloodstains on the inside of her costume, that these all played significant roles in the prosecutor's case and in the jury's decision. Rorig called them giant, inescapable realities. Clay's attorney told the press that they are disappointed in the verdict and they plan to appeal. As May, which is Missing Persons Month in Michigan, reaches its end, we can hope that other missing persons cases will be resolved. I have several people to thank in this episode. I will start with the Monroe County Sheriff's Department for their hard work on the investigation and the Monroe News for their outstanding coverage of this case. Thanks also go out to two listeners. Jeremiah, who attended the party that night and helped me get a feel for the event, from the crowds to the sounds as hundreds of people descended on the party. Also to Kim. She grew up in the area and helped me see Chelsea's hometown of Maybe through her eyes. A reminder, please support our sponsor. You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash already gone. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash already gone. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Finally, if you are in or around the Detroit area, I am pleased to announce a meetup featuring myself along with Aaron and Justin of the Generation Y podcast. On Saturday, July 8th, from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., we will be at Doc's Sports Retreat. Docs is located off 7 Mile Road at I-275. The address is 19265 Victor Parkway in Livonia. We have a room reserved for the event, a chance to hang out with myself, plus the Gen Y guys who are in town that weekend. I hope you'll join us. My name is Nina Instead. I am the writer, producer, and voice behind the Already Gone podcast. Thank you for listening, and please, be safe. up on things from Walmart? Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. Say what now? 5% 5 back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A.